Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Jacqueline Witt, Associate Professor of Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the Editor-in-Chief for War Room. So all told, it's been a very long year. As we approach and surpass uh, soon the one-year mark since the COVID-19 pandemic hit the shores of the United States, and we look at a mounting death toll, widespread economic impact at individual and collective levels, logistical challenges related to testing, and now vaccine distribution, uh, the reliance that we have all come to realize that we have on functioning schools and supply chains, uh, and it seems like we've learned a lot in this last year. Uh, But even before we are fully through the crisis, there is still a lot to learn uh, and a lot to do as we think about our national response to future crisis situations. So here to discuss a new report on national emergency response, I am pleased to have retired U.S. Army General Joseph Votel in the studio today. General Votel, after retiring from a long and distinguished Army career where he commanded and led at every level, Uh, with his last assignment as the commander of U.S. Central Command, uh, and he was there responsible for U.S. and coalition military operations in the Middle East, the Levant, and Central and South Asia. Uh, He has now joined uh, the nonprofit organization Business Executives for National Security as the president and CEO. Uh, And I should also note that General Votel is a graduate of the U.S. Army War College, so he has a connection uh, to Carlisle as well. Uh, so, General Votel, welcome to A Better Peace. It's really great to have you here today. Jackie, uh, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be with uh, with all of you and with the War College listening audience, sir. So thanks for, thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, so I'd like to start off with a pretty simple question, uh, which is about the organization that you are representing, uh, Business Executives for National Security. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about its mission and then also the Commission on the National Response Enterprise, which it commissioned in July of 2020? Sure. So uh, Ben's, is, as you noted, is a, is a national nonprofit. It's been around for almost 40 years. It was formed back in 1982. Uh, it consists of about uh, 415 members. It's a membership organization, and our members are business executives really from across the country, east to west, north to south, uh, and they represent all sectors of business, in particular uh, the sectors of business that are really outside of the defense and space industry. So about 95% of our people, uh, our members, are really come from 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 business sectors other other than that. They all come, they're all at very, very senior levels. Uh, we have a lot of CEOs, a lot of people that serve as members of chairs and as members of boards. 
uh, and uh, and again in, in managing directors, a lot a lot of a lot of leadership uh, positions in this. They all come with a with a great amount of expertise, not only in their business areas, but in business leadership and in business systems and processes. Um, so that directly feeds into the mission of our organization, which is essentially to bring best business practices, observations, advice um, to national security, to national security problems. So when in Benz, our, our, our currency is the expertise of our members. And so we really try to try to leverage that. The, the commission that we're, we're going to talk a little bit about today really grew out of the pandemic. Uh, as as you know, Ben's like all organizations and businesses across the country and, and our citizens watched what was taking place throughout the uh, the spring of 2020, and uh, you know we we knew that as an organization that is focused on national you know trying to help with national security challenges that there had to be a role that we could play in this and, and initially we did some stuff. Uh, uh, that was relatively short term, very responsive with some of our government partners, but we knew there was more to it. And so what we tried to do was uh, was try to understand what it is, what what how we could bring our bring our our expertise, the expertise of our members to really bear on the problem that we were that we were facing. And so what we tried to do is just try to study what was happening and what we what we ultimately concluded was that the challenge that we were seeing that the pandemic was presenting to us was it was really stressing uh, our response system. I mean, our response system is normally geared for shorter duration, much more localized, regionalized uh, emergencies, a hurricane, a flood, tornadoes, that type of stuff. We're very, very good at, at, at doing those types of responses. But the, but the sustained nature and the nationwide aspect of this really presented us with a new challenge. And it, and it began to stress a lot of things. We saw impacts on commerce, on the economy, on education, on you know, social fabrics, on politics, on communication, all kinds of things. So we knew we needed to uh, to uh, to look for a better model of how we leverage the public, private, and civil sectors in this, and so that's what kind of gave way to the to the commission. And, and in forming it, what we tried to do was uh, was reach out to uh, some really prominent people, former government officials, uh, leaders in the business community, and leaders in the civic community to, uh, to kind of come together to help us address this problem. And ultimately, we, we recruited 33 commissioners and brought on nearly 60 Benz members to, to, uh, to help look at this problem. And the commissioners kind of formed this steering group, and our, and our Benz members really uh, did a lot of the work uh, behind the scenes in this. And we looked at things like supply, and we looked at surge capacity, and we looked at how we manage human capital in emergencies like this. And we looked at infrastructure aspects, and particularly the digital infrastructure, and how that was impacted. And then we looked at roles and responsibilities between not only between different levels of government, but between the different sectors, the public, private, and civil sectors. And that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we went about our work here with the, with the commission. That's such a, a really thorough answer. And I, I feel like I have a lot more context as well. Uh, it reminds me of an early podcast that we did last year uh, with a couple of National Guard professionals. And one of the points that they made uh, about National Guard response uh, in relation to the pandemic uh, was its national character, right? It wasn't 
natural disaster relief or something that was was only affecting, um, you know, a, a small a, a region or a state, and that really affected uh, National Guard capabilities in in ways that hadn't been, you know, hadn't necessarily been tested before. And I think so much of what we have learned are about things that hadn't been stress tested, uh, you know, in the past. Um, when we think about the report, can you talk a little bit? Let's start at the top. Um, so what role does the you know report envision for the federal government in leading, coordinating, and managing a national response uh, in the face of emergencies and, and crisis situations? Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to, to start the discussion here. And, uh, and we spend an awful lot of time in, in the commission and in our, in our working group activities talking about this. You know, we, we have a federated system here. Um, you know, the, the, we have a, certainly a federal government, but we also the states have responsibilities in terms of doing this. And, and there is a bit of a tradition of the federal government trying not to uh, stomp on the, the rights of the states and the authorities of the states to respond to these kinds of um, things. But so the real challenge in this is how do how do we address this in, a, in the in kind of this federal system we have? And I think where we kind of came out on this is that, you know, all levels of government and all sectors of our society really, you know, have have the expertise and the resources to address uh, problems like this. So the key, I think, is how do we how do we leverage it? How do we bring that together? How do we bring the best of government with the best of the private sector and the civil sector to really uh, serve the American people the best? And I and I would say that the federal government, of course, plays a not only a key but the leading role in this. You know, it is the federal government that uh, kind of outlines the national response framework, this framework of activities, of organizations, of approaches that uh, that really, you know, provide kind of the, the left and right limits that provide a structure around which we, what's your response? The, the federal government has to play a key role in communicating uh, from the top uh, down. It has to play a key role in, in priorities. Uh, it has to play a key role in developing the relationships between different, not just different levels of government, but outreach to the private and civil sectors as well. In, in essence, the you know the the one of the most important ingredient, ingredients in a, a response like this is is how do you build trust between uh, the different levels and the different sectors here, and the and the federal government has to play a key a key role in this. One of the really important recommendations that we made in this uh, report was that uh, what, what we need um, from, I th we think, from a Department of Homeland Security standpoint is, is something similar to what we have uh, with the Department of Defense. You know, in the Department of Defense, we have a national military strategy that, you know, is written in support of, uh, of uh, the national you know, security strategy. And what we really need is we need a national strategy for emergency response here. And that is clearly something that the federal government can do in, in terms of this and through the through the Department of Homeland Security, under which a variety of other plans and other things can can fit onto. But you know, I, I think the the real key role of the federal government is to really to provide that architecture that allows everybody else to bring their very best to the problem and 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 help solve it for the American people. As a historian, I remember remarking early on that this uh, this kind of crisis was going to test 
uh, the limits of the federal system and the, the sort of federalist idea that we have of, of shared responsibility between the national government and uh, state governments. And, and I, I think I was probably right about that. Um, could you talk a little more about state and local government um, and how they, you know, can bring their resources to bear in a national response? Yeah, so uh, th th thanks. This is an important aspect as, as well. You know, of course, in a, in a federal system, you know, it's said another way, we have we have 50 we have 50 different approaches out there. And uh, I'm not saying that in any critical way. Every, every state, you know, has to have a has to have a, an approach that fits the threats that they're that they they're dealing with that is most uh, most helpful to their people. Um, so you know, I, I think one of the key things that uh, that uh, with kind of the states and and uh, and local governments here is is really figuring out great ways to be connected. Uh, one of the one of the challenges we identified in in this as we talked to local and state responders is that the uh, you know the ability to connect, share information. Uh, shared data and have a common operating picture, you know, something in, you know, that's a, that's a bit of a military phrase there, but this idea of, of, of people being able to look at a situation and being able to understand it the same way based on the data that is, that is being fed into it, I think is a really, really important aspect into this. And so, you know, I think one of the key pieces for the state and the local uh, authorities is the willingness to, to have this, this kind of connection and be able to share information back uh, back and forth uh, to, to, to kind of create this common this common picture and I and I would and I would also say that the same thing kind of goes with um, with the private sector uh, we have got to incentivize we have got to uh, get policy and relationships in place that uh, that I think really um, you know promotes public private partnerships and working in tandem uh, to be at our best in these emergencies. Um, you know, we've got uh uh, we've got businesses that are, are ready to produce things, but they've got uh, proprietary information they're trying to protect. Uh, they want to do the right thing for the nation. So we we've got to we've got to have ways that we make it easy for uh, not only the states and local governments to connect into the into the bigger framework, but we've also got to make it easier for uh, for the private sector to do the and the civil sector to do the to do the same thing. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of this, and a lot of it comes down to the ability to share information and share data, uh, and and to be able to communicate between different levels. And these are the areas I think where we need to we need to be focusing here and in, into the future, so so that we can so that we can address uh, challenges like we've dealt with in the pandemic. I've heard you say a couple of important things about information sharing, about data sharing, uh, you know, transforming that information into analysis, and also about establishing and building trust, right? That a lot of this uh, is going to rely on people working together, organizations working together, and that requires, um, you know, a baseline level of trust that everyone is is working toward the same goals, working toward the same uh, objectives and operating in good faith. And I think right now we see, um, according to many measures, that trust is, in especially in institutions, 
is at an maybe an all-time low, uh, given the state of partisan politics, given uh, you know the role of media to trust in corporations. Uh, so trust seems at the center of this, and yet it seems like a thing, um, maybe maybe a missing element. Do you have some ideas about how institutions uh, and organizations might go about rebuilding trust with the public and with each other? Yeah, I, I think this is uh, Jackie. This is such an important point. I, I think in this whole in this whole challenge right here, and uh, of course, trust is not something that can be mandated or legislated here. This actually has to be developed, uh, person to person, organization to organization, institution to institution, uh, and it has to be done very very carefully. The way that I I, I mean I I'm a retired military officer, so I have a tendency to look at it through um, through that lens. Uh, of how you build trust with uh, with allies, with partners on the ground, uh, with your own forces here, um, as as you undertake you know inherently dangerous uh, dangerous activities, and and I think it comes down to to you know a few a few key things here that you really have to focus on. First and foremost, I think you really have to be a relationship builder, and you have to. Uh, you have to uh, value the fact that you can communicate and you have strong relationships between different levels of leadership and different organizations. And as I tried to remind when I was a CENTCOM commander, as I tried to remind my my subordinate organizations and my staff, it wasn't it wasn't enough that I had great relationships with my counterparts. That had to we had to have thick relationships. So you know my subordinate commanders had to have good relationships. My staff had to have good relationships with those, you know, with this whatever particular entity we were we were dealing with here. So you really have to focus on building strong relationships. A key component of building strong relationships, I think, is is transparent communication and being willing to share information, being willing to risk a little bit, um, to to be flat and and tell people what you know um, in, in the interest of of informing them and and enticing them to share what they know in this so this idea of flat and transparent communication I, I think is 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 really important I think the idea of responsiveness is an important aspect in this uh, you know as I again going back to my military experience, um, you know, uh, you, when you deal with a lot of international partners out there, they're always asking you for different things, and uh, and, uh, and 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 they're looking for a response in this. They're looking for a yes or a no in many cases. And, and frankly, most people can handle no answers if you if you are transparent and you communicate uh, in terms of that. So you you've got to really focus, I think, first and foremost on on relationship building, on being transparent communicators, and being responsive to people who are trying to work through challenging situations. And, and to me, these are really really uh, important prerequisite uh, characteristics and traits that uh, that leadership at different levels has to has to exhibit in this uh, the other component of this I think of, of, uh, of building trust is this idea that I I kind of refer to as shared risk and and what it means is is that um, you know we have to be willing to uh, absorb risk at higher levels, to an, uh, to allow our 
to allow leaders at lower levels to make the best decisions they can um, uh, with the situations they're dealing with. Said another way, what we want to try and do is we want to get we want to get decision making uh, done at the lowest possible level, and we want to hold risk at the highest possible level. You know, again, going back to my experience as a military officer, I, I wanted I wanted my subordinate. Uh, commanders operating in places like Iraq or Syria to to have the freedom to make decisions as they needed to uh, needed to on the ground in accordance with the authorities they had uh, in the situation they were dealing with without worrying about whether their backs were covered uh, by their higher headquarters. We wanted to remove that. We wanted to own that risk for them and allow them to do that. And in many regards, this is done by this idea of sharing risk. And what what that really implies is that there's got to be a constant flow of information up and down the chain. And, uh, you know, subordinates need to understand that they engender trust by being transparent, by sharing information, by making sure that the headquarters or leadership above them understands exactly what's going on. And and higher level leaders got, have to, you know, push that push that back down. They have to recognize that, you know, people on the ground are going to make decisions about what they're doing and they need to be backed up in terms of that and they need to be supported in terms of that. So there's got to be a downward flow of information. And, and this idea of, of information flowing up and down, I just think is is really, uh, really an important aspect of it. I, I always refer to them as feedback loops. We have to keep these feedback loops going all the time, up and down. They have to be constantly, constantly nurtured, constantly reinforced. And Jackie, what you're really trying to do by that is you're trying to, one, you're trying to make sure that uh, people have a, you know, a common appreciation for the system. They have, uh, they're kind of aligned in terms of how uh, we're, we're going to approach the problem. And they're kind of aligned in terms of, uh, of, of action. So when people take action on something, you, people, you have, there's an expectation that that's what they, what they were going to do. That's a, that's a bit of a lengthy, um, lengthy uh, discussion of this idea of trust, but it's it's just so fundamental and so important to us. And 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 as as you know, as I've been reminded throughout my military career, and as I remind people now, you cannot surge trust in times of crisis. This has to be done in advance. So the idea of creating a strategy for emergency response and engaging businesses and states and and local authorities early on to rehearse and exercise uh, and make sure that we have systems that can communicate and make sure that we've got policies in place that make it easy for for businesses to share data and and uh, and do it without uh, without concern that they're you know they're they're going to undermine their own you know bottom line in the long run here these are really important things that have to be done up front. So we can't wait until the, the the situation presents itself. It has to be done in advance. And it has to start from the top and it but it has to eventually go, you know, both ways as as we as we as we work through this. I think all of those are such important uh, important points. And in many ways it's a it's a back to basics, uh, the things that we sort of know uh, intuitively and from literature and experience about leadership and about trust, but they have to be they have to be put into practice. The report also 
you know, lays out uh, 11 recommendations and uh, we're, we're, we're not going to have time uh, on our brief podcast today to talk about all of them. Uh, but the recommendations are very specifically and intentionally calls to action, uh, things that need to be done. Uh, so I'd like to ask you uh, to highlight, you know, maybe one or two that you think are particularly important or relevant to uh, our podcast listeners. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I, I've already touched on one of them, and it's this importance of uh, of a strategy and visibility into the funding uh, that that we expend for. Uh, for uh, emergency response. You know, this year in the United States, in addition to the pandemic, I think we've declared emergencies in at least 93 or 94 different locations, other situations, which is a lot. It's actually higher this year than it's been in uh, uh, for last year, 2020, I'm sorry, uh, than it's been recently. So um, there's really two ideas there. You know, the strategy is important because uh, it really, we really have to communicate what our what our overall approach to this is, and and how we how we look at managing emergencies like this, um, you know, and I think it's a first important step to you know bringing people together and and doing for emergency management and, and emergency response what things like. Uh, like Goldwater Nichols did for the Defense Department in terms of breaking down barriers between services or, in this case, sectors, uh, to really make sure that we could be as effective and efficient as we can. So this idea of a strategy, uh, I think, is is a really, really important one that uh, that has to be addressed, um, you know, upfront. And as part of that, we we need to make sure that uh, we have we have an understanding of where all the funding is going to support this. This is a, an absolute uh, critical means uh, by which we uh, by which we are, are going to respond uh, to these things. So we've got to we've got to do that right now today. I, I don't think we don't we don't assess that's possible. That one one entity one person can look at uh, at where all the money has gone to respond to uh, to these emergencies and uh, if our investments are actually paying off. So we've got to tighten up on the strategy piece. The second point that I would highlight for you here is is, uh, is a report that is a recommendation that comes to the end of the report. And it is the importance of connecting every American. By our estimates, somewhere between 19 and 40 million Americans really lack reliable access to uh, reliable broadband coverage. And in an emergency like this, where most of your information is coming that way, where we're expecting people to work from home, where we're expecting children to go to, uh, to, go to school online, not having reliable broadband access uh, is, a, is a real detriment. And uh, in in our current digital economy right now, it is it is an essential. And so we have Congress, the administration, has really got to wrestle with this idea of how we make sure that we connect every American um, uh, together so that we can address uh, not only address emergencies like this, but help mitigate it in the very very best way possible. Thank you. I think that. Um is is a tremendously important thing and and for some of us who live in you know highly dense uh, cities and and places where broadband is sort of taken for granted uh, it's easy to forget that that's not the the state of affairs in a lot of places and we we rely on it so heavily these days 
Um, I'm always amazed at how quickly 30 minutes can go by when I'm enjoying a conversation. Um, but I think our, our time is probably up today, but I want to thank you for joining us on A Better Peace uh, today for this podcast. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to be with you. And thanks for your great work with this, with this podcast. We're thrilled to, to get it out there. And for our listeners, I want to commend to you uh, the full commission report, which is available online at www.bens.org. Uh, and thank you all for listening in today. Please send us your comments on this episode, or any episodes for that matter, and send us your suggestions for future episodes that you'd like to hear. And please subscribe to A Better Peace if you've not done so already on the podcatcher of your choice. And after you've subscribed, please rate and review this podcast so that others may find it as well, and we can continue to grow this community for conversations like the one you've just heard. Even though this conversation is over, our conversations on COVID-19, emergency response, homeland security, and defense, uh, of course, continue on War Room. And until next time, from the War Room, I'm Jackie Witt. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.